Hi, it's Courtney, and we're at episode five of Scale Up from LaunchVic. Early on in the process of putting this series together, Didier Elzinger, CEO of Culture Amp, mentioned it'd be a good idea to chat with a guy from Townsville. By chance, he happened to be in Melbourne. We met at a bar in Federation Square. Luke Ania, CEO of Safety Culture, and we are at the Beer Deluxe Bar in Melbourne. <laughs> like Culture Amp, they've also taken a bit over 30 million in funding. He's in Melbourne to launch a documentary he financed called The New Hustle. Check it out if you can. It features three Australian startups. Canva, recently valued at over a billion dollars, Vinomofo and Luke's company, Safety Culture. Quite by chance, he's been to this bar before. This is actually the bar that we were in a few years back when we got the first pair of Google Glass outside of America. Uh, and um, we pulled them on here and, and uh, I can remember a, a drunk guy coming up to us and, and saying, hey man, that's the future. We were just talking about that and it was pretty pretty funny. So um, yeah. What's missing is, uh, in the story here is how they managed to get the Google Glass. From what I could get out of Luke, there was a little bit of regular old hustle to get an invite to the developer conference and then ferry them back to Australia. Other notable mentions from Luke's past include four years as Tony Robbins videographer, the Tony Robbins, the self-help guy from America, and a boxing match he put on in Darwin while he was sleeping in his car. And uh, I'd come up with this idea to put on a tough man challenge, which is also in the film, The New Hustle. And uh, I um, was sleeping in my car, going into the Holiday Inn, and unplugging the swimming pool filter each night at 10 o'clock and um, plugging in my mobile phone so I could, I could get battery power for the day. I didn't have a cigarette charger. And, um, and I'd run around and organise this like uh, you know, boxing competition. It was the only thing I could think of doing at the time. And, um, and that month was pretty stressful, to say the least. But you got it up? Yeah, 1,500 people turned up. And I had a goal to make 40,000 in four weeks. That's, that's how I came up with the whole thing, because I was like, what am I going to do to make 40 grand in a month? And, uh, and so, um, yeah, 1,500 people turned up, took in $64,000. I'd racked up 22,000 in debt to put it on. And uh, I, uh, I walked away with $42,600. And I, I got video in a hotel that night, rolling in the money on the bed. And uh, yeah, it was a happy ending, but I nearly, uh, nearly came out with no shirt. Last episode, Doug English, Culture Amp co-founder, told a little bit of a story about the scepticism from some VCs that they were pitching to. And uh, it was, he was quite literally halfway through this pitch and, the, and this partner stopped him and said, um, said um, why would anybody survey their employees? And at that point, we just kind of looked at each other and went... I don't think this is going to work. So it got to the end and, and he basically gave us the don't call, don't call us, we'll call you. And <laughs> that was the end of it. It was a story that I passed on to Luke at the bar. <laughs> well, we, we had one of the guys from Excel actually who made the very famous investment in Facebook, which was huge. One of those guys said, why would anyone do, use a checklist to manage safety or quality? Much like the shared story, they also share an investor. Culture Amp and Safety Culture have both been funded by indexed ventures out of the US. And so um, DDA and I have um, got to know each other through that experience and um, compared notes and, uh, you know, probably helped. He's probably helped me more than I've helped him. He's, he's often been further along. And um, 
uh, you know, I think he's, he's extremely focused and passionate about um, the problem he's trying to solve. This episode is about three things that happened when Culture Amp scaled up. One as a business, two as startup founders in Melbourne, Australia, and three, the inevitability of having a successful new company without direct competitors. One will materialize sooner or later. About LaunchVic, it's Victoria's scale-up ecosystem development agency. It helps to build the infrastructure for entrepreneurs and startups here. Another quick thing, wherever you're listening, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think of this series so far. He has what's called the world's uh, simplest business plan, which is 10,000 by 10,000, which means he wants to get 10,000 customers that pay $10,000 each a year. And if he does that, he's got a $100 million business. And so he's executing that. Bill Barty again, we've heard him in a previous episode. He's from Blackbird Ventures, a Culture Amp investor, describing Didier Olzinga's early plans. Years later, it begs the question, how are they doing now? Well, they're, in terms of their trajectory, they're right on the trajectory we thought they would be on. Um, you know, they've, their business is um, progressing incredibly well. Uh, I don't know if Didier has revealed to you the specific metrics, um, but I'll let him reveal that. I'm not at liberty to say that. It's uh, his private company, his private information, so we'll let him do that. But let's say this, that, that the business has grown probably 10x from the time we invested uh, to where it is now. And so it's right on that growth path, that sort of traditional hockey stick looking graph that, uh, that, you would, uh, that everybody loves to show but rarely achieves. Uh, but they're right on the early part of that, that uptick. They've got a great book of business. And this is all, I think, um, really attributable to the value that their product is providing to their clients and uh, also the, uh, the, the, you know, the utility that everyone is getting out of it. So it's all, all down to, you know, they, they eat their own dog food, if you will. They manage their own team, their own culture in a way, you know, th- by using their own tools. And uh, they provide this ability to other companies around the world to do it as well. Along with Blackbird, a couple of other VCs have invested in CultureAmp, notably Index Ventures. And when you get investment from Index, you're likely to get an invite to their annual Napa Valley excursion. As you can imagine, it's held at a pretty nice place, about 90 minutes north of San Francisco. Uh, Calistoga Ranch. And it's it's what you'd expect for a sort of high-end uh, winery-based outdoor sort of area. So it's a sort of long, snaking roads with big open places next to it. It's kind of set back up into the hills, so you can walk up into the hills and um, surrounded by vineyards. So you go, you go do your choice of events. I've done the wine tour both years. So you go around the Napa Valley and see these amazing wineries. It's, uh, it's, it's very nice. It's about 100 people, uh, all CEOs and founders of companies in the index portfolio, the index team themselves, and then also a bunch of luminaries that they know and, and bring along. And it's two days, and there's a it's it's pretty cracking agenda in the sense that you you've got to be up early. The day starts at 7:38 a.m. and then they have people talking, presenting on a whole bunch of different issues, 
and then there's some events and experiences. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculously luxe. <laughs> so you, you're in a beautiful surrounds, and the dinners are phenomenal because it's just one long table uh, with about 100 people overlooking these vineyards with amazing food and amazing wine. So there's different things. I've been on a couple with him. Um, one, one of the uh, weekends, we split into groups, and you just pick a subject. It could be, uh, you know, communication, or it could be funding or whatever. And, and then you go around in a circle and just talk about how do you manage communication with your teams? How, as your teams grow, how do you, um, you know, tell everybody what's happening? How do you keep them informed? What are the problems that you've had? Um, and then you may do other sessions where it's like, what are the biggest challenges you've had in the journey? And, and uh, you get to sort of, you know, calibrate and learn from people. You think, wow, we'd, we thought we were dealing with big problems. And then you listen to what other people are dealing with. You're like, wow. And so, you know, a lot of it's very personal as well, which is why it's, it's um, effective to bring those people together. In an environment like this, I'd assume there might be some healthy competition between some of those attending. Uh, there's a poker night, so that um, you know that has a fair amount of comp- competition. But no, I think most people are kind of happy to be around contemporaries, and, and everybody has their own mode of doing it. It's uh, it's good. It's it's it was pretty. It's both relaxed in the sense that you're not trying to prove anything, but also intense in the sense that you're just trying to learn as much as you can while you're there because for most people to be out of the business for two days is a big thing and so they're trying to make take advantage of it. I pressed Luke for some specifics about Didier at the getaway and one thing stuck out immediately. Uh, no, he, t- he taught me how to play poker. <laughs> yeah, he hadn't played much before so he knocked. He managed to knock me out so he, I must have done a good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> that Is was good. good. Well, I guess so. I don't know how to play poker but I beat him on the night which wasn't good for me so I think he was a bit dirty for a day or two. But most importantly it's just an amazing group of people. Like I mean, I've been twice now and the first one I went to you kind of have the attendee list and I looked at it and right, you know, here's these people that I really want to go talk to and then on the first night you get there and you, there's a cocktail sort of event and I was standing around, started talking to the people around me and I pretty quickly realised there's no point trying to track a particular person down. You just turn to the person next to you and start talking to them because every person there was fascinating, really, really interesting. I mean, a lot of different people there. I met uh, a guy by the name of Kimball Spencer who runs a company called Cockroach Labs and they build a database product. He, he's a, he was a, at Google, was a... a really good engineer at Google and then ran another company got bought by Square but he's also the founder of uh, he, he he and another person wrote um, the GIMP which is the open source Photoshop tool so in my previous life that's a thing that I used to play around with a lot so we were chatting over dinner about all sorts of things and then I realized that that's who he was, and I was like, oh wow this is you know this is like royalty In 2018, Culture Amp expects to be around 250 people. That's up from about 180 by the end of 2017. Far from the bucolic Napa Valley, a world away, and in Melbourne, a couple of floors above Culture Amp's head office is Steve Pell, management consultant to Culture Amp and other companies. He shares his thoughts about their they are getting to rocket ship stage post Series C, and they've grown up with this very inclusive, very inclusive management style, where you know it's been collaborative decisions a lot, a lot of the way through. And I think it just feels like some of the challenges that are coming or have come recently are, are around the pace of decision making versus the 
the um, the pace of decision making they've got to have to survive on this rocket ship trajectory mm. versus the the collaborative kind of style that, that the organization's grown up in here's didier on them making decisions together we don't vote i don't think we've actually ever voted on anything um we tend to talk stuff through and we're all i think we've always been pretty good at saying we'll all say what we think and then if someone feels really strongly say okay well let's roll with it and see what happens i mean one of our values is learn faster through feedback so there's no point me sitting down digging my heels in saying well i don't think it's going to work if if rod absolutely wants to do it i'd say okay if you really want to do it let's do it see what happens and we'll learn uh so you know the the common wisdom is that four is not helpful it's too hard there's no tiebreaker it's never been a problem for us and i think it works well because um even though on the surface we're all very similar uh, underneath, we all approach things in quite different ways, and so we've learned to use that to our advantage. Um, John went over to San Francisco um, relatively early on, which was huge for us as business, and you know, pivotal in what we've become. Uh, you know, if he hadn't been willing to do that, I'm not sure which how things would turned out, whether it would have been better or worse. But um, that made it more difficult in terms of obviously communicating because he's on the other side of the world, and so particularly because Doug, um, Rod and myself have kids, we actually do have to work really hard to make sure that we all do get to see each other. Like, you know, now we'll turn around and go, oh, we haven't actually seen each other for, you know, a week or something or other, haven't actually stopped and spoken. And wherever there have been disagreements or things, it's often become just because we haven't actually been talking. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves, you know, you've got to communicate all the time. You've got to let each other know what's going on. Back to Steve. Culture and in my opinion, have been incredibly successful because they've had from day one a view of how long it takes to get to rapid growth. They knew the hard yards, they were prepared to put them in, they knew what they needed to do, they knew this would be a five to ten year, five to ten year journey, and they just did the hard work up front. And obviously they had a lot of support for that and they had um, really good advice and everything else but it's that at 12 months in you're still probably three to four years away from you know when you're going to have your biggest impact so everything you're doing at 12 months isn't necessarily about what you're going to achieve in three months time keeping in mind what you're going to achieve in five or six years time and as a ceo didier has the job of leading the decisions the growth the complexity that comes with being such a people focused culture intrinsic startup i think as opposed to the smartest guy in the room who wants to know everything about everything in an organization which is just not a management style that will ever scale Didier does not have that challenge. He knows, he's incredibly good at managing complexity. But when you're smaller, it's a bit different. Then Series A comes along and that changes the dynamic. How do you cope with that? At the Series A phase, they're, they're saying, okay, we can see that you have some element of product market fit. You have something that people want. How do you go faster? And a lot of the conversations are, actually really helpful where they'll often be framed something like do you have the people you need to do what you need to do so you know what are your goals are we being aggressive enough are we um, going after the right part of the market and then once we have a sense of what we're trying to achieve 
are we resourced appropriately? You know, do you have enough people, but also do you have the right sort of people? And I think um, VCs are, are very good at co- constantly reminding yourself that you have to level up. You know, every six months you need to look around and go, we've leveled up. And that's actually quite difficult as a company. And it's difficult when you talk about it internally with people too, because it's very hard for any one person to continue to level up every six months at the rate you're trying to grow your company. You're looking to double or triple the company every every year. And so one of the things that the one of the challenges that you always get from VCs, and it's probably not so much at the Series A stage, but certainly at B and, and at C, is great, this person you have is really good and I'm sure they can get to the point that we need them at, but can you afford to wait? Or do you need to have somebody who's already got that skill or that experience? And know that by the time that person that you already had was ready for it, uh, the the whole company will have grown, and there'll be plenty for them to do. And those are there's, those are hard questions. There's no easy answers to those, and it's one of the things everybody struggles with in a startup, which is people are attracted to a startup because they want the opportunity to grow and you know have a bigger piece of the pie and own more of the thing. That's you know you walk out of a bigger company into a smaller one because you want that opportunity. Uh, but then you're just trying to hang on as the company's growing really, really rapidly and the company's trying to go, okay, you're doing great, but do we need somebody who's a little bit ahead of you to help the company get where it needs to go? You hire people and you trust them to do these things too and then you're there to support them and try and make it work. And it's not, it's, it's not easy. Like when I look at our own internal results using our tool, um, you can see that New York has the hardest experience. They're the furthest away. They're the, the ones that have the the most issues with communication and other other things so we're certainly not perfect and we haven't got it right yet as the company grows moments that are now improbable have grown into fond reflections of the journey here's jason mcpherson the chief scientist I really enjoy some of the surreal memories. So one of my favourite culture ramp photos is, is a picture of Rod, one of the other uh, uh, co-founders who who I, in the early days, we were sort of the customer delivery team, Rod and I. <laughs> we would be, um, you know, the, as well as doing all the other stuff, we were the customer delivery team for a lot of the clients. So we'd be out doing the sales meetings and uh, there were moments when, uh, there's, a, there's a photo of Rod sitting in the front of his uh, of his Hyundai um, with his laptop, tether, tethering on, onto the Telstra network so he can make a code change to our platform, ready so that we can just go inside to this business and uh, you know show them this new feature. And we'll just yeah. So this photo of Rod making a, a committing uh, committing some code uh, to GitHub so that it could be. Um, put onto the production server and we could go in and demonstrate it to the client. So there's lots of those kind of little surreal moments, I think, uh, yeah. uh, were some of my strongest memories now. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that, is, that is true. And Jace, Jason shows the photo of me uh, tearing my hair out, sitting in, 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 in the car, trying to get something deployed before I went in to, to, to do a demo with the customer once. The demo went well and we won them as a customer, so it was okay in the end. <laughs> it was worth it. It was, worth it. It was right. worth it. Speaking to the team at this stage of the business, they're all calm and relaxed. It's sometimes easy to fall under the impression that the journey has been methodical calculated. We've heard that's not exactly the case. The journey has been exciting and early on the mission drove the team to do things like win Adobe 
as a client. Check out episode two titled, I Think They're Serious. And I asked Jason if there were any rev up sessions back then to get the work done in time and in preparation for the big client, Adobe. You know, the rest of the team is pretty uh, technically focused and engineering focused. So, so I think the motivation was really coming. You know, we didn't need to be spoken to to, to keep motivated, really. Yep. Um, it was just that intrinsic motivation from believing in what we were doing and feeling that we were going somewhere. So we didn't really need that sort of motivational pep talks. I don't think <laughs> back then. They're probably more needed now, you know, when there's so many people and uh, and that side of things becomes really important to kind of remind yourself of, because of, the journey's much larger now, right? So the journey's much larger and the range of things you're doing is much larger. So I feel like those, you know, uh, that side of things becomes more and more important as you get larger. At the same time, Rod remembers it as terrifying. Uh, when it was just the founders at the time, it was it was an awesome ride. It was kind of terrifying in a completely different way to what to what I had been used to. Um, so I'd love to start another business. I'd love to give that a crack. Uh, I think one thing that looking back, I think would have helped me <laughs> over the last however many years, and still still today, is that um, you're never probably quite ready for the growth that you're about to experience. And I think hiring in particular. Um, at every step of the way, you should be hiring to, to um, hiring people to do your job and hiring people to to, to um, do all of the things that you do day to day. And I, I can think of you know several sort of examples when um, I've said to myself, actually, it's okay. We don't need to hire for that role just yet. We don't need to hire for that role just yet. And then before you know it, you should have hired, and you try to hire three people for that role. Um, and I think you know. My, my sort of rule of thumb now is every time every time you make a decision you're trying to think okay does this decision still make sense where we're going to be six months from now does it still make sense where we're going to be 12 months from now and I think when you think about things six, six and 12 months away you realize actually yeah it's time to it's time to hire for this role now for example or it's time to do this in the product now um, that's definitely one thing that I would um, I wish I'd told myself in the early days <laughs> I mean personally one thing that that, that took me by surprise this, is, this sounds really arrogant to say it, but I, I always thought I was really good at the people side of the business before starting Coltrane. And, um, and then trying to grow a business as quickly as what we have. Um, the people side is, the, is, is really, really hard, um, especially when everyone in the company is, is, is passionately connected with this idea of being culture first. Everyone cares about it and they should care about it. Um, simple things like um, being geographic geographically distributed across you know Melbourne San Francisco New York and London um, that's a challenge just in getting everyone on the same page and having everyone understand why we're doing the things we're doing why we've made the decisions we've made um, you know my, my role as um, head of products here I have a, a practice of product managers who um, every week they're getting up before 7am to talk to customers or um, someone from our customer teams in say New York for example and then they're jumping online at 10 11 p.m. at night so they can talk to our colleagues or customers in London and then um, you know constantly doing calls with with our team in San Francisco um, that's that's uh, that's tiring to do that um, and I think 
it's it's not that it's not, it's not worthwhile. It's absolutely worthwhile. It's absolutely necessary. But it's um, those little things are kind of challenging. So just being in so many different locations at the same time, you have to over communicate. Communication is something that comes up so often in the interviews. I haven't included a lot because of the repetition. It's just something that is absolutely front of mind for the guys. It's relentless. At least Culture Amp do early mornings and nights to consider their offices in different time zones. One company I spoke to for background just makes the other offices adapt to Melbourne's time zone on the other side of the world. Doug English articulates the communication point well too, particularly in the context of growing so fast. It's a really bizarre thing when you're doubling the number of people that you have in the company every, you know, every 12 months. It means that even if you say something you know, to the whole company and everybody remembers what you say, uh, three months later, there's a decent percentage of the company that never even had the chance to hear. So I think part of, the, part of growing that quickly is that it becomes, the communication has to, has to be just said over and over and over again. So like things like what is the big vision or what's the architecture that we're going to drive for or those sorts of things. We've needed to find we've needed to find ways that we can deliver that um, in a repeatable way, if you like. So you know, um, videos or you know those sorts of things, to, just to try and find a way that we can let people come on board with the company and learn at their pace instead of relying on organisational learning. You might recognise this next bit from the last episode. It's Doug again. And it was interesting talking with Scott. He was actually comparing um, his situation buying HipChat and seeing that uh, succeed. All of a sudden Slack happened and this massive competitor that came in and was just ridiculous growth numbers. His advice to us at that stage was if you've got a business case that's working, you've got a product that works, you've got no clear competitors, that's the time to put your foot down and go as fast as you possibly can because it's not going to last. For years, Culture Amp were running their own race, raising money, signing clients. Then, in 2015, a competitor emerges. Your business to new heights. Glint. People-powered success. Glint's taken funding, but none of the same VCs as Culture Amp. They've recently completed a Series D round, mostly with repeat investors. February 2015 is the earliest mention I could find online, but... Their Crunchbase profile says they were founded in 2013. Soon after Culture Amp discovered them, Glint started going after their business. When they first hit the market, um, they were pretty aggressive. Like um, uh, at that stage, we had we were in the habit of basically putting every every logo we were allowed to up on our website. So we had like 100 logos up, uh, maybe more, 150 or so logos up at that stage. And um, lots of lots of really good companies because we'd kind of uh, part of our early success was that we did really well in the um, in the fast growth tech areas of the Bay Area. So we, we had we had pretty much all the fast growth tech startup logos, um, and uh, and they uh, they got on the phones and on a weekly basis they were calling up every one of our customers uh, trying to convince them to come across to them. Including, bizarrely enough, uh, Cricket Australia. I think it was Cricket Australia, or uh, maybe it was Save. Anyway, it was some Australian companies as well. So uh, yeah, that was that was fun to deal with. But um, they they haven't done that as much recently. 
but we stopped putting all the logos up as well. We're a bit more selective about which logos we put up now. Um, were people pissed off here? Like, they're like, how can they do this? That's kind of rude. They're calling our customers and trying to flip them. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a technique we weren't expecting. But, to, I mean, to be honest, I don't think it's... I don't think that sort of aggressive style has necessarily helped them in the long run. Um, so, I mean, we've we've continued to double down on uh, building community around our tool. Um, so building what we call the People Geeks community. And I think that's brought us a lot of really goodwill in, in the space and, and continues to. So, yeah, from that perspective, I think uh, I, I'm much happier with our practices and approaches. Didier is quite pragmatic about the situation. He must have known it was going to happen sooner or later. I mean, it's been interesting to see them come into the into the space. Um, you know, I think they've they've built an interesting product and they have some good people. They hired a bunch of people out of companies that I knew. Uh, so, all things considered, I've actually it's been good having them in the market. I mean, having more competition is often good. Pushes you, gives you a reason to um, sharpen your sword. I think them and others, like Pecon and others like that, have essentially validated the market and the interest that people have got in the space and that people want to do something. And so, uh, you know, they've raised a ton of money. Close to $80 million now. I mean, at first you, you just kind of, oh, what's that person doing over there? And we're seeing more and more of it. The truth of it is you, you look at it and you go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, why did they choose to do that? Oh, okay, that's an interesting. And then you get back to it. I mean, at, at this stage... Well, you got 10, 20, 30, 40 million in revenue. You're a tiny fraction of the available market. And so it's really easy to get hung up looking at somebody else, or looking over your shoulder or trying to work out what this person's doing or what that person's doing. You're better off just building the thing you're building, shipping it to people, listening to your customers because it's not like we've got the market squared off between us and we're fighting for you know the 2% that's left over. This is an enormous market out there that we need to go capture. And so one of the things we talk about a lot internally is, yeah, it's good to know, but don't fixate on it. Don't spend time trying to build something because that person's doing this or that person's doing that. Build something because that's what the customers want, not because the competitor's doing it. And what did he make of Glint calling Culture Amp's clients? They're, they're, they use fairly traditional sales tactics. Yeah. Oh, I've spoken to their CEO about that. So. Really? Yeah, we called each other and said, oh, okay, this is an interesting way that you're playing this game. How did that go down? He's a professional CEO. He's lovely on the phone. <laughs> Do you enjoy those sort of conversations? Because I don't imagine they'd come up too often, but they'd be kind of important in some sort of way sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things you realise as a CEO is that particularly the bigger the company gets, there's a chunk of your role which is just playing the role. You know, it's, it's you have to fulfil the symbol. You have to be the person that makes that call or does this thing that people expect you to do. Um, and it's always interesting. <laughs> So, how do you build a company? You write down a really naive business plan, you launch your first product, you move to another city, you bring on three co-founders, you kill that first product and launch another one, you kill that product and go back to another idea that you'd had earlier but didn't think was a good one at the time, you hire your first employee, you get your first customer four weeks after having the first idea, you bootstrap that to about a million dollars in revenue, largely by winning most of the companies in the valley as your customers. 
you do a $6.3 million Series A out of the valley with the, the guy that helped uh, shepherd Google Analytics, and he joins your board. You open an office in New York. You raise a $10 million Series B. You open an office in London, and voila, you have about 1,000 customers. You have about $10 million in revenue. You have about 100 people, and you have all these amazing companies around the world that you work with. And you've built this platform that makes it easy to collect, to understand, and to act on employee feedback. Next episode, it's time for a look in our own backyard. It's all about Melbourne. Not a history, but a snapshot from some of the people in the startup ecosystem here. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks for listening to Scale Up by LaunchVic. You can find out more about LaunchVic on their website, launchvic.org. And do leave us a review or tell a friend about the show.